0: feel the presence of the Lord in the house today. Amen. Uh, they did ask me to do a couple announcements here. Um, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Acts 13. Well, you're fine in Acts 13. I just want to highlight the next steps class that's going to be taking place. Uh, we had challenged figuring out where to put in the calendar, but it's taking place in about a month, April the 7th. This is a class just designed to, so you can get to know who we are. We'll have a meal. Um, you know, we'll cover the vision, the values of the church. And if you're new here, uh, we'd love to have you out with us. Take place right after church, and uh, always a wonderful time. And then I did have several people just ask me what in the world a Seder meal was. So um, this is a, like a, a dinner we're having, but we're not going to eat. We're going to have a rabbi in, uh, my friend Dr. Bill Katz, who represents Hope for Israel. And he's going to you know, kind of illustrate what the Passover meal was and what it represents for us today. So you better come... Um, Feed yourself before you come, because all we're going to have is some snacks. <laughs> Kids are welcome, and you can just you know, come out, watch it. It's going to be a wonderful time. Who, who in here has ever been through a Seder meal? So we got a couple. So that means a lot of you have never been through one. Oh, that's a ripe audience, man. So it's going to take place on a Friday night, March 15th, 6 p.m., and it, it's just a beautiful illustration of what the Passover meal looked like, what it represented. I hope you can make plans to join us. All right, if you have your Bibles, we're in Acts chapter 13, and I'm in a serious state called At Face Value. We've just been walking through the values of our church. Values are unique to every organization. They set the culture. Uh, it's sort of like the spiritual climate is set in these, uh, it, it, when you discuss these things. They're worth revisiting, and we're building a church culture, which is a serious thing. You, you want to know what it is. You want to identify your strengths so that it can enhance your life and be a blessing. Now, I want to read Acts 13, starting in verse 49. I'm going to work our way down to verse 52, and then we're going to pray. Here's what the scripture says. The word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. I pray that would happen in our land, too. But it says the Jews stirred up devout and prominent men and the chief men of the city. They raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. But I like what it says in verse 51. They shook the dust off of their feet. And they came to Iconium, and it says the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that same thing. I pray the word of the Lord would spread in our time, in our region, in our land. And I pray that we would be disciples filled with joy, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with excitement, always endeavoring to give a testimony when it's due. We just thank you for the word of God today, alive and well in our hearts. We pray that in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen Amen and amen. Hey, man, I was going through the notes and the readings of my one-year Bible. And a year ago, I was on my way to Pakistan. I can hardly believe that was a year ago. And when I was traveling there, we had a man from Africa, from Uganda that came. His name was Didis Misue. And Didas, you remember Didas, Anyone remember Didas when he came? Uh, he, he did a great job. Well, his church in Africa, it's, it's in a place called Gulu in Uganda. It was just about destroyed recently in a storm. You know, they, they use brick construction. And so I, you know, planned to be out there uh, here this summer and with him. And I, I was just checking with him and seeing how he's doing. And he told me that the Lord is doing great things through that ordeal he went through. And when I think about disciples, I think about this man, Ditas, because he, the overseers uh, who work at Teen Challenge, that's how I met him, uh, they said he has been just an incredible disciple. Uh, he's helping hundreds of, of people in Africa positive addiction problems. And Because these things are not happening all over the world. And it's just cool to see how he had such a positive uh, experience in the face of disaster. And so it reminded me of um, disciples. And what i get got to highlight this morning is what I'm calling distinctives of disciples. I'm going to give you three of them. Uh, these are unique characteristics. And in no ways is this a definitive list. Uh, there's many things that we could add to it. Disciples, if you look at the word, it means that someone is a, like a disciplined believer. And disciples are people willing to follow the Lord. Uh, disciples are people who deny themselves, take up their cross, and will follow Jesus. And if you study the lives of Jesus' disciples, all of them were willing to die for the Lord. Amen. These guys went you know, incredible lengths. So I'm talking about discipleship this morning. Are you a disciple? Let's find out. First characteristic, Acts chapter 13, I'm in that 52nd verse. And when it tells me the disciples were filled with joy... And with the Holy Spirit. Here's the first thing I want to highlight for you. A disciple is someone who is responsive, but not reactive. Responsive, but not reactive. They shook the dust off of their feet, even though they had just been rejected. And they went to that town, they were persecuted, and yet their response was not you know, to be upset. Instead, they were, they were happy about it. They, they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. It speaks volumes. A reaction is like an emotional reaction. Uh, adaptation of something. You know, your, your emotions, when they get going, it sort of suggests a level of immaturity. And when you feel that fight coming on, you know, when you, when you start feeling uh, like I, I want to react to something, you can almost sense your emotions rising up. But a response indicates more of a thoughtful decision, more measured, more informed, more patient. Think about how Jesus modeled this man before Pontius Pilate when they were telling him he is you know, going to be Killed on a cross, and his response was not even to say a word. He stayed calm, cool, and collected like the other side of the pillow. Peter, when he was put in prison, was sleeping, so much so when the angel came in the book of Acts to wake him up, he had to be shaken to be awake because he was totally at peace. I think about Paul and Silas uh, singing in the Philippian jail, Acts chapter 16. I mean, they they were at midnight blessing the Lord, they had a response. And the thing about life is it presents you with all kinds of challenges, observations, and difficult moments. And your response is often going to be the thing that determines the outcome ahead of you. So I think about how they responded. They responded to rejection with joy. And the Lord said that was going to happen. I mean, Luke chapter 6, verse 23, Jesus said that when you're persecuted, you ought to shout and jump and leap for joy. Now, I've met people who persecuted I don't meet a lot of people who like it. But the joy of the Lord is your strength. When you feel down, when you're starting to feel the sorrow in yourself, when it's difficult, those are moments when you can encourage yourself, like David did, strengthen yourself in the Lord. I get to preach to myself sometimes because one thing I feel like I need to grow in is that sense of joy in my life. My, my response to difficulty would be better if I just start singing and celebrating and shouting. And I have to get away sometimes with the Lord in order to do that. That is their adequate response. Sometimes you respond to adversity through the help of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I can call upon his name. Scripture defines the Holy Spirit as a helper. And that means he's with you. You're not alone. He'll show up in difficult moments. He will give you a reassuring voice and a still calmness, a sense of confidence that comes only through the power of the Holy Spirit. He shows up to help you when you need it the most. I've had him do it so many times. When I'm upset, when I'm frustrated, when I don't know anything, they stoned the man, drove him out of the city, supposing that he would be dead, and the disciples, it says, gathered around him. And uh, he got up after being dead and went into the city. Sometimes the best response to a difficult situation, a possible situation, is simply to pray. Like when you don't know what to do, when you feel helpless, when you have no answers, when you're so frustrated by life, the best response you can have is to stop and spend time seeking the Lord. Because you'll have moments when you just simply have no answers. I remember in the middle of the night getting a phone call, and the phone rang, and it's like, you know, 11, 11.30 at night, so I don't want to get that phone call. <laughs> it rang again. I've had too many pocket dials, you know what I'm saying? So I was like, all right, this thing rings two or three times. I'll get up. Well, it was my, my father-in-law, Dwayne, and he was telling me in the middle of the night my mother had had an aneurysm. There were life flying her down to Salt Lake. And so I was you know, shocked. I started, you know, okay, thank you. I'll, I'll let people know. And, and uh, I thought, should I tell my wife? Because if I tell my wife, she's going to be up all night long. <laughs> I told her. I prayed. I went to bed. Elizabeth stayed up all night praying. <laughs> And I just figured, you know what? The Lord would heal my mom. And by the way, she's here and she's doing well. She's in the 1% of people who recover fully, which is an amazing miracle. I just figured, you know what? There's nothing I can do but pray. So I prayed and I went back to bed. Mature believers know how to respond. They don't get rattled. They don't break down. They know how to pray. They know how to seek the Lord. And I'll tell you what I love about the church culture we have. We have a prayerful church culture. we got mature people who are measured in their responses and not given to overreactions. Praise God, you ought to thank God for that. That leads to a lack of drama in a church. Come on, somebody. Amen. Amen. All right, now, a second distinction. I'm in Acts chapter 14 in the 21st verse. Here's what the scripture says. When they preached the gospel in that city, they made many disciples... And then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, where Paul was stoned, and Antioch. Here's what it tells me. A disciple is someone who is receptive to the truth. Their heart is open. Yeah, their response. But they are receptive. They're willing to consider new ideas. Christianity was a radical new idea in the first century. They were dealing with a different culture that was pantheistic. I mean, they had all kinds of, you know religious beliefs and different gods they'd worship. So the idea that God was a servant and he'd love you and die for you was completely foreign to their concept. What believers have is what John described as an internal unction within you. It's the ability, it's an anointing within that helps you know the truth. And Jesus said the truth that you know will set you free. When the gospel is preached, the Holy Spirit goes to work and he can reach into some of the hardest Hearts and soften them. That's the work that he does. In fact, Jesus said that no man can even come to the Father except the Holy Spirit draw him. He has this invisible ability to work in your heart to guide you and give you truth. What the truth does is it penetrates your heart and opens it up. You know, Acts chapter 16, just a few chapters later, we read about a woman named Lydia. And when she heard the gospel, the Bible says her heart was open to the things of the Lord. And I've been in meetings like that where the gospel is preached, I'll hear truth being taught, and something on the inside of me just starts coming open to the things of the Lord. I I get eager for it. When when you're confronted with truth and, and you're honest with yourself, that's a place where it can cut you. It can really get down deep. This is the moment where the Holy Spirit can illustrate sin in your life, Highlight things that need to change. Speak to you moments. Show you things. It it pricks your conscience so that you become awake and alert to the things of God. See the truth is amazing because it has the ability to transform you, to change you from the inside out. It, it, that's called a conversion. Uh, a conversion is when you were one way, but you got totally converted to a different way. It's a change in ideas, a change in behavior. I like what the psalmist said, Psalms 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, and it converts the soul. It can change you. It can transform you. And and these are places where, you know, when people hear the truth, it starts to renew their mind. You start having new desires on the inside of you. When you're doing something sinful, there's a conviction that comes that says, I I don't want to continue in this behavior. And I've lived it, man. I I haven't heard too many testimonies lately of like people get instantaneously converted by the Holy Spirit, but it happens. I've had it happen where he's changed me in a moment. I've had the Lord deal with me on things over time and I've had to let them go. I just know that his truth has the ability to transform and change me. And the beautiful thing about the truth is that it's something that expands your perspectives. It's like it allows you to grow spiritually. It allows you to grow as a person. The word disciple in this verse, is a word that means learners. I want to be a learner of the things of God. It reminds me of the Bereans, Acts chapter 17. They searched the scriptures daily to see what things were true. When you get hungry for truth, you start having this desire to grow spiritually. It's like, man, something on the inside of me just desires to be close to the Lord. I want to grow in him. I want to know about him. And the beautiful thing about the Bible is it's not just a book that's designed for your spiritual growth and get to know God, and that is the greatest byproduct there is. But this is a book that helps you in all kinds of areas in life. For instance, it's a book that'll give you wisdom. And the world is in such lack of wisdom today. It tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When you have the fear of the Lord, you make better choices than than you would if if you didn't. You have foresight. You, You think about... Problems that may come. The Bible tells us that wisdom sometimes means that you keep that big old mouth of your shut. That's called wisdom. I mean, if you, learn, if you walk away with nothing else today, you can walk away with that. Sometimes the wisest thing you can do is just shut up. My grandma used to tell my grandpa, they'd get in arguments and grandma would say, Kenny, the Bible says that a fool is considered wise if he keeps his mouth shut. <laughs> I'll never forget that. <laughs> the Bible is a book of intellectual knowledge. It's rich with like symbolism, imagery. You read through the book of Leviticus sometimes and you don't understand what it means, but you, you get to study it, you'll find it's beautiful points that illustrate the person of Jesus. That's what the Seder meal is doing, man. It, it's, a, it's a picture and a portrait of Jesus, who he is and, and his life. And, and all these things are hidden in that. It, it's, you can study it all your life and, and never come to the end of it. I mean, the Bible is the most studied, criticized, critiqued book, and it stood the test of time. It, the Bible gives you ideas about how to handle your physical body and health. It tells you that you should eat in moderation. It tells you that fasting is good for your body. The scripture tells you that you should get some rest, like have a Sabbath meal, have a Sabbath day, take time. That's what it tells you. It tells you how to handle your money. Like put God first, watch what he does for you. It tells you to have a savings account and budget. It tells you that if you give, it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down. Shaken together will come back into your life. The Bible is a book that speaks about relationships. Like it'll teach you how to forgive people. The scriptures will teach you when you have to confront people at certain times. The scriptures tell you that if you're a man, you gotta know how to love your wife. If you're a wife, you know how to respect your husband. Man, we had a great time in the marriage class we're going through. It's on Thursday nights. If you haven't made it yet, it's still not too late for you. Pastor David has been tearing it up, man. I had a great time. And, you know, one of the, my takeaway last week was that, you know, marriage is one of those things where if you want to grow in your marriage, the best place to do that is by growing in your relationship with God. Yeah. You, you get to know the Lord, you'll be a much better husband, a much better spouse. The Bible tells you how to raise your children, the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. The scriptures tell you that you should treat your parents with respect onto the elderly. I mean, these are relational tools and keys. The Bible tells you about society tells you what life is like in the last days. You're living it. You're watching it. You're watching the implosion of things and weirdness everywhere in the world. It gives you purpose in life. Your purpose, according to the Bible, is to let God love you and to love God with everything inside your heart and mind. And if you have that in your heart, man, you've got something to work with. That's someone who's receptive to the truth. And I'm telling you, church, we want to be teachable. We want to grow every day. You want to reach your potential in the things of God, and there's nothing greater in a church culture when you've got people who desire to know the truth and want to grow in the things of God together. Because what happens is you start growing, maturity kicks in, you start you know, wanting to help people, be a blessing. I have to tell the story because it was just so unique. I got up this, this morning, I got over to church, and as I'm driving in with my kids, I look in the side of the building, and you know what there was? There was a crate. And in that crate there was a puppy. I think it was a chihuahua. Someone left their dog right out here for us. Now, backstory here. My wife and I had had a dog, and uh, we had to get rid of the dog. And uh, I thought someone left it just to stick it to me to try to make me take that dog. (laughs) But we brought the dog in. We got him some food, and then we had a fight. So many people want to take that dog home. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Because you know what? You got people whose hearts were touched. I'll take the dog, I'll take the dog, I'll take the... That's what I want in church culture. I want people who will want to be a blessing, man. That's called being a disciple. Receptive to truth. That's better them than me, amen? (laughs) Third distinctive. This 14th chapter, uh, they're preaching the gospel uh, in the cities. In verse 22, they strengthen. Someone say strengthen. Strengthen the souls of the disciples. And they exhorted them to continue in the faith. Saying we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So what I see here in this verse, this is a huge thing about disciples, and I'm gonna hit this one. A disciple is relational. It's someone that they are responsive, not reactive, they are receptive to truth. But I think one of the greatest characteristics is that disciples are relational people. And I like to use the term relational discipleship. When I think about how Jesus did it with 12 people, he was relational. He wasn't isolated. He was walking with them. And relationships describe the way in which you're connected with people or interconnected with people when you study the Bible. What you see is the relationships that take place. In, in all of its highs and lows, the goods and the bads, you know, you've got Moses and you've got Joshua working together, Elijah and Elijah. I mean, it's, it's the story here of Peter, James, and John and even some of the back-channel arguments that they had. Jesus with his 12 disciples and one of them betrayed him. And Jesus had Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. They were all friends of his. Paul was walking with Timothy, but he, even, he had problems with Barnabas and John Mark. And, and, and so th- there's this relational component to the scriptures, which is beautiful in my mind. Christianity is relational. I know we call it one of the world's great religions, but it's a relational thing. In fact, the book of James describes it as a religion. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their time of need. That's called relationalness. And it says you should keep yourself unspotted from the world, which is your relationship with God. Christianity is relational. And relationships are a vital part of being a disciple. Relationships are things that will encourage you. That's what we just read. They encouraged them. You know, I think about my grandma. She would always encourage me. She'd tell me how many ministers they had in the family, and she'd tell me she was proud of me. And there was no greater thing you can do in life than to be a minister. And she would build me up like that. I, I sometimes come across like pastor friends of mine and we like to encourage each other in down times. And you know, it's a funny thing. You, like you, you get around people that have been in ministry. I have some dear friends and you go through some battles and my heart is to help build them up and lift them up together. There's something beautiful when we as believers can come together and build one another up. Paul also told them, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. He was beaten, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked. I mean, think of all that he went through. You feel like you're getting persecuted when you got a flat tire or there's just that little bit of snow so you don't feel like you can make it to church. Come on, somebody. I know how people think. (laughs) I met a man named Andrew Brunson last year in Washington, D.C. He was kept in Turkish prisons for about three years and beaten. And he told us that he almost had a breaking point. But when he got out, the Lord supernat, Donald Trump's the one that helped him get out. When he got out, he went around the and, and it was so encouraging to hear us warning them. Yeah. Listen, th- this is a real thing in other places of the world. And, and it was so encouraging to hear us testimony like that. You know what else is relational? Church leadership should be relational. Look, look at verse 23. It says that they appointed elders. See verse 23, that word elders is does it have an S behind it? That word elders is plural. They appointed elders in every city, elders in every church. So if you come to the Next Steps class, one of the things you'll hear me say is that the difference between a church and a cult is that S right there in the word elders. It's called plurality. Plurality. Plurality is how you should lead churches. Every time you see church governance in the Bible, it's always with elders plural. Uh, It's never set on one person. You should have a team of people with you. That's how you get consensus. Consensus. That, that's how you get the mind of the Lord. That's how you hash out ideas and have, work your way through disagreements on things because not everyone's got the, the, you know, the angle on truth. You, you're going to have to get around different people, and, and, and you're going to have to hear different ideas, and, and you can work together with things that way. And I love having you know, church eldership and governance where there's a plurality because many times I, I, I've, we've had to have conversations. To, well, I think it means this. I think it means this. And it's a beautiful thing if you can make that work and walk together through something. Uh, you'll notice it says here that they prayed and they fasted. That's how you get the mind of the Lord, praying and fasting. It's, it's something that I appreciate is coming into the house of the Lord, seeking Him together, and walking away with ideas on things. Like That's how we got into the church building. We prayed about it for a long, long time, and, and we had an idea to do something, and the Lord did it. You know, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 3 that the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. And it's when you get people who are spiritually minded together, praying and seeking God's will, that you will have some answers. You, know, you get some ideas. But if you're not in you know, contact with groups of people, then you get isolated. And what I've noticed about people is when they get isolated, they get some very strange ideas. When you live alone, you get, you get ideas that are weird. Now, there was a, I'm going to Africa here this summer. Africa's filled with some really interesting things. And there was one man who was very well-known in Africa. His name was TB Joshua. He died a couple years ago. Dude, this guy had a ministry that was huge. And he had TVs everywhere. And now, like, all these reports are coming out about how abusive the environment was. But people were flocking there. And the bigger the ministry got, the more isolated the man became. Like, he, he lived in the top of a penthouse, and, and he had, you know, places to himself. But this guy... If he needed something, he'd just ring the bell for his servants. And the servants, some of the guys were talking about their stories with him. They said when he needed to use the restroom, he'd ring a bell. And they would come, and they would take his pants off for him to help him because he was too holy to do it himself. See, when you get isolated, you get some strange ideas. I've never asked Daniel and David for that assistance right there. Yeah. I don't think they do. You think they do it? I don't think they do it. <laughs> I'm just saying, you get isolated, you get some strange ideas. Yeah. Here verse 23, it says, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So relational people are responsible people. And Paul, he appointed leaders and left them in charge every place that he went. Uh, that means they're aware of the needs of other people. And I'm, I'm trying to do that with my son right now. Like, don't tell anybody this. He's about nine or 10. Sometimes I leave him at home alone with the girls to try to teach responsibility. And I'll say, listen, if you want to be responsible later, I need you to prove yourself right here. So I might leave for a little bit. You know, he'll watch him. And he's become pretty good at it. He helps his youngest sister walk across the street from the school. He's carrying her backpack, he's doing all kinds of things to watch out over her. I'm like so proud of him, but now the little one is expecting that kind of treatment. I've created a monster. (laughs) But Titus is getting the idea. I want you to be responsible. (laughs) Jump down to verse 27. It says, when they came together and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them, how he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they stayed there a long time with the disciples. See, relational people are people who rejoice together. I like that. They're there, and they're praying, and they hear all the good things that God has done. You know, you can really have a genuine friend when you've got people who rejoice with you. It's easy to cry with you. It's easy when people say, oh, you're hurting, that hurts me. But when they've had a win, and you feel just that little bit of jealousy coming, that's where it becomes a little challenging sometimes for you to rejoice. Because I've been on both sides of it. I've seen what happens when you buy a house, and you have people that are like, oh, that's nice. And then, you know, someone like in your family buys a house that you like better, and you go, oh, that's nice. But you have to rejoice with people. you got to know how to rejoice, how to cry, how to be a friend. They got together, they celebrated. Sometimes people get so competitive about what they have. And these guys rejoiced together, and it says that the Lord had opened a door to the Gentiles. You know what I found out about relationships? It's usually the thing that opens up the doors. Now, prayer will do it. Colossians chapter 4, Paul said, pray a door will open for me. But a lot of times, people will do it. So, you know, I was thinking about in my family history, my, my Aunt Clarice in 1982 went to San Diego, and she met a man whose name was Eludi Isianga. And she had Bishop Eludi come up there in Bozeman with her every year for all those years, and somehow he ended up at our church when my, grandma passed, my aunt Calise passed away. And now he's extended the invitation to go to Africa. And that door just came open. I feel like the Lord's opened up some really interesting international doors and opportunities for me, and I have a heart to train pastors. And, and, and so it, they came naturally. They came Easy. When God opens up doors, you don't got to push your way through them. They just come to you. It's like he's behind them. And a lot of times what happens is relationships are the things that does that. It opens up a door for you. And I like what it says in this 28th verse. They stayed there a long time. You know, relational people are like hospitable people. It's not easy to stay somewhere for a long time with someone because there's an old saying that says after three days, fish and people stink. And uh, I've experienced that. But if your love is genuine, if it's sincere, that is the place, my friends, where relationships work. And long-term relationships, the ones that you're in there you know, year after year, those are fruitful relationships. I have been so blessed in my life to have stability and godly people and relational people and hospitable people, people that care in my life. It has enhanced me so many ways because they're real disciples. I'm blessed by those. So I'm grateful to have a relational church Uh, founded on the truth, kept by prayer. Man, you know, we spend a lot of time praying as a church. You know that? And we we meet on Wednesdays. We've been meeting for years since this church was founded to pray. And I think that it's been really one of the secrets to where we've had, you know, healthy, stable, fruitful ministry. It's because we seek the Lord in prayer. We have a heart for hospitality here. And I just kind of feel like, you know, when I get to go to Africa, I'm sure that hospitality is going to be reciprocated. I look forward to that. I'm grateful for that, man. So, are you a disciple this morning? Do you measure up? Let's ask the question How do you respond to adversity? Like, do you get emotional? Or do you start feeling that fight come up on the inside of you when you feel disrespected? When you start feeling like you're misunderstood? Or, or do you get measured? And you just trust God. The beautiful thing about getting older, I have less energy to fight, less energy for drama, more energy to just trust the Lord, know how He works things out. I've lived long enough now that some trials I've seen become blessings. In fact, when you go through difficult things and you respond properly, you'll see that God will take that difficult thing and He will turn it into a blessing. He can take the pain of your failures. The pain of of difficult days. And he can make it so beautiful. All it takes from you is a response, not some emotional reaction. A response that says, I'm going to trust the Lord. So maybe you see inside yourself the propensity to have reactions spring up. But if you'll learn to just respond, you'll watch what God does. Maybe uh, it's about being receptive to change. When a new idea comes, when you're confronted with something, does your heart open or does it immediately resist that? Because I meet too many people. It's like as soon as they feel threatened or they sense something new that they don't like, they immediately check out. But real disciples are people who are willing to just say, you know what, I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to consider that. I'm going to think about that. And, you know, I've just taken the attitude that I love to learn. I love to read books. My heart is open. I want to know things, learn things, grow in the grace of the knowledge of the Lord. You know, I've found as I've done that, as I've drawn near to the Lord, I've found on more than one occasion, God has rebuked me or corrected me. Not like in anger, but because he loves me. He's given me new perspectives, new ideas, new insights, and it's a beautiful thing because I want to have a receptive heart. I'm open to the Holy Spirit. I'm open to his word. I'm open to a correction or rebuke even from my mother. Because that happens. But if you'll have a heart that listens, you'll watch what God does. What's the state of your relationships? Growing? Are they stuck? Are they thriving? Are they annoying? Do you want to have beautiful relationships? Because they can. And if you would love God, walk with God, if that relationship with him is intact, then he makes everything beautiful relationally. He knows how to work. He knows how to do things. So I I just want to pray this over you. I want to pray for real disciples. Who wants to follow the Lord with me this year? I want to follow him uh, wherever he may go. Father, I just thank you for open hearts, open minds, receptive people. People eager and ready to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. Mm, I pray over them. I pray over you in Jesus' name. Mm. I pray over hard hearts. Thank you right now in this atmosphere that the Holy Spirit can soften up hard hearts. And I pray for new ideas, new insight. Areas, Lord, where we've said no to you. I pray that you turn our perspectives. pray you increase the capacity that we have to learn and grow. Mm. Lord, I thank you for whispering truth to us. Yeah, I pray pray maturity over the people of God today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. I just feel the peace of the Lord here. I feel like there's a heart to learn and grow. You know, speaking of disciples and relationships, I want to do something really special this morning. Uh, I want to have my my dear friends, Kyle and Linda Biceline, come on down here. And if you could grab Pastor David. uh, You know, it's something the Lord just kind of put in my heart with these guys. Come on up here with me. Um, I, I felt like there's a verse in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 2. Recognize those that labor among you. Come on up here. And um, the empowerment to fulfill the ministry God has given people is something I value. So I, I kind of feel like the Lord has shown me that this man, Kyle, is really operating in a pastoral capacity at our church. Like, he has a heart for people. And I want to acknowledge and recognize uh, that is a natural grace. He's been super faithful. Um, And I feel like the Lord's called him into, like, the the office of that, a pastor here at our church. So, you know, Daniel and David serve in that capacity. And so we're licensing him this morning to just acknowledge that he's on staff with us as a pastor. Yeah. So when David gets in here, we'll... uh, We'll get praying. He'll be in a minute. But I just feel like it's good for the congregation to witness that. And, you know, to be honest with you, I I feel like uh, I've had to grow even in doing this because it's not something that, uh, like, when we did Pastor Daniel, I don't think that I fully acknowledged and respected that as much as I needed to. I am so grateful for Daniel and David. I'm so grateful for this team that we have and the ministry that they have. Uh, There's a microphone down there that we'll get to pray here in a moment. But I just think it's good for you to witness as a congregation. So, you know, I think about what Kyle's been doing. He's leading the men's ministry, leading Senior Connect, doing a great job with that. He works with the kids' ministry. He shovels snow. Um. He may visit you at the hospital if I can't make it up there. He bounces around the whole church. And and then he's like me. If he finds out someone's here and he doesn't know them, then he kind of gets upset about it, which is a man from my own heart. I like to meet everybody out there. I like to know who they are. So, really a jack of all trades. And I wanted to just take... Time here, reach a hand out. We're going to pray over him. We're just going to say that he's coming on as, as one of the pastors on staff here. So, you know, uh, you can call him Pastor or you can call him Kyle. He doesn't care. Just like I don't particularly care. <laughs> but let's pray. All right, Father, in the name of Jesus, over Kyle and Linda. I just thank you for this wonderful couple. And Lord, I pray right now for many, many fruitful years of pastoral ministry ahead of him. I thank you for the shepherding grace that's upon him, Lord. I thank you for his heart for people. Thank you for his heart for truth. And I thank you, Lord, for the ministry that you've given him. Thank you, Lord, for the call of God that's placed upon him. He's had since he was young. He's had such a heart for it. And I just thank you for the servant hardness that's in him. So we bless him. And we thank you for the grace and the call of God upon his life. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen, amen. amen. If you guys want to pray or say something, I'd...
1: Father, right now, I pray over Kyle and Linda. Lord, I pray that your spirit would move in a greater way into the calling and the position that you have for him in this body, in this fellowship. Lord, I pray right now that your spirit will lead and guide him and direct him. Lord, I thank you for a new level of your anointing on his life, a new level of ministering. Lord, I thank you. That as he draws closer to you, you take him into the positions and the places that you want. Father, I thank you for opening the right doors of the right relationships, Lord. I thank you for the fruit that you are going to produce through Kyle and Linda in this house. I thank you for the lives that are going to be touched and changed. Lord, I thank you for the work of the kingdom. Lord, I thank you for their commitment. Lord, we appreciate their desire to be committed to you and to do, to just listen and obey to your voice, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the servant's heart that you placed within Kyle. Lord, I thank you that being a servant is the highest honor in Christendom. And Father, we thank you for the servant that he is. Lord, I ask you that you would bless him and everything that he does. Lord, I ask you for an increased anointing. Lord, fill him with your spirit right now. Lord, I thank you that as he reaches out, Lord, that you would fill him and continue to fill him. Lord, I ask you that you'd fill him anew right now. Father, I ask you that he would be overflowing with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Hey, thank you, brothers, for praying. I, I felt like when we were up here praying, what I sense is that that increased capacity you talked about. I thought that was just beautiful. I, I And, you know, that's something that we as a church are striving to do is grow together. And it's just beautiful to watch people who want to grow and the Lord increase them. So what a beautiful day. I'm happy you we're out here to witness this because we did what the scripture says. We lay hands on people and we empower them for ministry. So you stand up with us this morning. And it's just great to have you out. If you need prayer, we're here for you. Uh, we've got a lot going on the next couple weeks. You can sign up out there for a Seder meal to join us. so You can, hey, stay up here. Don't leave yet, guys. I want to talk to you. Look at these guys. Uh, and also the marriage class kicking off. So I love you all very much. If you knew, I'd love to connect with you. God bless you. Love you. We'll catch you next week, man, all right?